Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober, right here on Green Earth Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. My guest today is Robert Kane of Sea Agri. Plus, my desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. The International Dairy Foods Association and the National Milk Producers Federation are petitioning the Food and Drug Administration to approve aspartame and other artificial sweeteners to be added to milk and other dairy products without these ingredients being labeled on the products. These additives will simply fall under the definition of milk. I don't know. When I think of milk, I don't automatically think there are artificial sweeteners in it. To me, milk is simply the product that comes out of a cow. And if these organizations believe it's totally healthy to include their sweeteners in the milk, shouldn't they be glad to have them labeled? Also, scientists from the pharmaceutical company Merck have brought in a new drug to the meat industry called Zilmax. This drug will bulk cattle up during the last few weeks of their lives. The drug is currently being used by Tyson Foods, JBSSA, Cargill, and National Beef Packing Company. I'm sure most listeners already avoid meat from the previously mentioned companies. If you're not, here's another reason to avoid those brands and buy meat from farmers you know. Zilmex isn't the only drug we're adding to meat in the U.S. Another drug is Ractopamine, which is used to make animals grow faster and make meat leaner. Because Ractopamine is being added to meat, Russia is now banning all beef and pork exported out of the U.S. How the U.S. can look at this decision of Russia's and not believe there's anything wrong with the meat is beyond me. And the new drug Zilmax is only going to make matters worse for the U.S. And finally, scientists at Stanford have found that bluefin tuna contains trace amounts of radiation from the explosion in Tokyo's Fukushima power plant. The scientists say the trace amounts of radiation are so low that they won't harm you. I'd still stay away from bluefin because of the risk of radiation, as well as the fact that bluefin fish are seriously endangered. And now for the main course, which today is using sea minerals for agriculture. If you're a regular listener to this show, you know about the benefits of sea salt. It helps with proper brain functioning of and the nervous system, digestion of carbohydrates, and healthy adrenal glands. But what you might not know is sea salt or sea mineral solids are also important in agriculture itself. Our soils are greatly depleted of minerals due to leaching, erosion, and overcropping. By using natural sea mineral solids, we can restore elements that were lost to the sea back into our land, making the soil fertile again. Additionally, livestock animals may develop health problems if they're fed the wrong type of salt. True sea mineral salt is seen as the best type of salt to give these animals. Here to talk with me about sea minerals and their role in agriculture is Robert Kane, president and founder of Sea Agri, which produces C90 and sets the example for how we can fully use sea mineral solids to replenish our soils. Robert, thank you so much for coming on this program. Great to have you here. Well, thank you, Eric. Thank you, Aaron. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and, um, and a pleasure to speak to all of your listeners and share with them the knowledge that I have with regard to the sea mineral solids and sea energy agriculture. 
Absolutely. So tell our listeners a little about how you got involved with this in the first place. Well, it was uh, back in the 19, uh, mid-1970s, almost uh, 40 years ago now, that I had the good fortune of meeting a man by the name of uh, Dr. Maynard Murray, an MD, who had actually invented and patented the uh, use of sea mineral solids in agriculture. Uh, I met him and went to work uh, running a hydroponic farm that we had in uh, Fort Myers, Florida, uh, where we actually utilized seawater as a, uh, a fairly significant portion of our nutrient solution, uh, which provided uh, the entire periodic table of elements in one water-soluble form. Wow. And explain a little more about what uh, what Dr. Maynard Murray's research was about. Well, basically... Uh, he was an MD who realized at a very early point in his career that he was not really having any luck making people well. He could treat their diseases, but he couldn't cure them. And uh, that was a big question for him. And he uh, searched for answers. Uh, and in his investigation, he found that in the ocean uh, that he could not find any sources of disease, couldn't find cancer, hardening of the arteries, diabetes, uh, even, even aging on a cellular level didn't to occur between a baby whale and its 80-year-old uh, uh, mother. Uh, so uh, he looked at the, the mineral composition of seawater and found that all of uh, 92 periodic table elements are present in a water-soluble form. He thought, uh, maybe that's what's wrong with our soil and the foods that we're eating and extrapolated that back into an analysis of soil and found that uh, really many of the periodic table elements were missing. And uh, his first experiments involved bringing back seawater and actually uh, you know, replenishing uh, the nutrients that way. Uh, and of course, through experimentation, came up with a level that was uh, extremely beneficial to plants. As you, know, you and your listeners may imagine, uh, too much seawater or sea salt or salt of any type can be very detrimental. But at the proper ratios, uh, plants uh, and animals just seem to really flourish with the uh, proper concentrations of these uh, 92 elements. And the product that you're coming to is called C90. So is this pretty much um, the specific thing that Maynard Murray was talking about was the C90? Well, uh, basically, we, of course, uh, trade name C90, but what C90 is is C-solids. And uh, after Dr. Murray finished his initial experiments using seawater, diluted seawater in his uh, greenhouses, uh, he wanted to move on to large-scale um, agricultural experiments and realized that transporting seawater uh, you know, from the ocean to Illinois, where he conducted the major part of his research, was economically not feasible. And so he actually traveled the entire world and uh, looked for uh, what he knew would be sea solids or sea salt in its perfect form uh, with all the elements uh, present uh, and uh, found three locations. Uh, one of them being uh, in Africa, in the Horn of Africa, one of them being here in the Northern Hemisphere, and then one in Malaysia. And uh, uh, fortunately, he shared with me the location of the one here in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, that is actually where we create uh, our sea solids or C90 today for our use and all of our uses in agriculture. The unique thing about the area where we create uh, the sea solids uh, or C90 is uh, it's, a, it's a unique environment, and uh, the seawater that we receive is unique. Uh, and I think those the factors were the reasons why Dr. Murray specifically found these locations and our location that we created here. 
Um, we have a, uh, a very mineral-rich sea, um, the Sea of Cortez, which is actually known to be uh, the highest in marine diversity of any sea on Earth, which uh, obviously means that the, uh, the sea water that these uh, creatures are living in is uh, very, very nutrient-dense. Uh, we have the, uh, the fault line from the, uh, actually the San Fernandez Fault, which divided uh, Baja from uh, the mainland of Mexico. And we have the, uh, the geothermal vents that are pushing up rare earth elements into this mix. And then we have the Pacific Ocean, which, uh, which you know, makes a turn at the bottom of the Baja Peninsula and turns up into the Sea of Cortez. So we get the Pacific Ocean seawater. So we have this convoluted mix of all these different uh, sources and all of them together is uh, what gives this, uh, the, the 92 elements, making sure that they're all present. Of course, the Colorado River today, you know, which fed into that sea for a very, very long time is uh, not more than a trickle of its once great self. Uh, so uh, the minerals and trace elements from the sediments that were deposited there uh, over eons of time is really, I think, where we're getting a great deal of the, uh, of, of the mineral richness that's in the sea uh, in the area where we actually collect the, uh, the seawater for the uh, process. Uh, the seawater arrives to us in a very unique way. It actually travels inland almost 18 miles to our location where we harvest it and create it. Uh, it um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very flat level area, all, uh, all created with uh, sediment. It's a, just a, an estuary area that's extremely flat. And the sea comes in by the full moons uh, a, a great distance, and then it recedes, and then another full moon and recedes. And then at, in uh, September, when we have two full moons very close together, it actually jumps over the hump, as you might say, and floods into the estuary. And we're bathed with a, a, an enormous amount of seawater that comes in. And from there, we trap it and uh, release it into our retention ponds uh, and, uh, and basically put about six to eight inches of seawater in. And then within six to eight weeks, because the area is uh, a constant temperature of over 100 and sometimes over 120 degrees. We get a very quick uh, dehydration within six weeks and have the, the full dehydrated minerals to uh, uh, basically pile and, and uh, take out of the beds, you know, turn dry, bag, and ship. So uh, any of the mineral that is purchased from Sea uh, Agri is basically was seawater less than six months ago. That's how quickly we're creating it and transporting it. In addition to economics, I would say having the three different locations also is good in terms of environment and sustainability. Well, I think it is, except for uh, this technology, unfortunately, uh, was not accepted by the agricultural community when Dr. Murray uh, created it and patented it back in the 1950s. And after his death in 1982, it, it basically sat uh, dormant uh, until uh, about... 2000, and at that time his patents had expired, and uh, several companies started to uh, investigate, you know, using the sea uh, minerals or the you know the periodic table elements in sea water in uh, in agriculture, and uh, three or four companies have evolved since that time. Uh, but as far as the uh, Malaysia and the Horn of Africa location, uh, I I don't actually know exactly where they are, and I but I'm I'm very sure that they have not been developed. The only one that's currently in use is, is here in uh, the Northern Hemisphere, which we, we have access to. Right. Certainly, I know green technology is something that you talk about in terms of 
the process for how C90 is created. Can you explain that a little more? Well, basically, as I said, the seawater comes to us by tide, so we don't do any pumping. Uh, it arrives to our area, and then we uh, let it flood into our uh, retention ponds by gravity. The only uh, fossil fuels that we use is actually in the uh, loaders that uh, push the material into piles and, and then the trucks that haul it. And uh, uh, basically in the creation of it with the uh, solar dehydration, it's uh, totally green you know, until we actually start the harvesting process. And then uh, we have a very low carbon footprint, I think, from the standpoint of how we, uh, how we harvest it and how we transport it. Right. Well, certainly every, um, everything does have somewhat of a carbon footprint. So it's impossible to have yeah. a zero carbon footprint. But it just I think the whole process that you do is amazing and how it has a very small carbon footprint. Let's go into now to the benefits that crops get from the C90. Well, what we've seen in, the, in, in agriculture is really a mitre of different uh, benefits. The, uh, everything from uh, increased production, which, you know, of course, farmers are all looking for, uh, to uh, increased uh, drought and, uh, and heat uh, tolerance, which uh, was just discovered this last uh, year up in Illinois on corn. Uh, in, in that situation, a uh, uh, few of our farmers made applications of as little as one pound per acre foliar, and uh, the day after the application, in 106 degree temperatures, the plants were standing fully upright like it was a spring day, showing no, uh, no uh, uh, stress from the heat, which it completely amazed us. Um, and, and, you know, I think the thing that we see is that plants are healthier and in being healthier, they complete their life cycles uh, earlier. We've, we had uh, three years of research that was just completed at uh, Rutgers University. And we found that our tomato crops uh, ripened uh, a full 10 days early, which, again, I think is indicative of the fact that a plant that doesn't uh, suffer any stress uh, from either environmental or uh, insect or disease is going to uh, you know, flourish and complete its life cycle earlier. Uh, one of the other factors that uh, seems to be apparent is the flavor of everything that we grow uh, with the uh, sea mineral solids or C90 is, is enhanced. And uh, again, indicative of that, at the, uh, at the Rutgers trial, they actually do a taste test and the uh, C90 fertilized tomatoes won the taste test three years in a row, a blind taste test won it three years in a row. Uh, but you know, just the the idea of what it what it what it does and uh, how it improves uh, the production is uh, it, it it goes it really uh, you know in the sense of we're creating nutrient density uh, when uh, we apply this this material to pastures where uh, um, uh, cows are grazing or goats or sheep uh, the grass actually uh, its protein level increases its digestibility increases. Uh, the relative feed quality increases. Uh, in, uh, in corn, we see uh, higher levels of production. Uh, in uh, soybeans, uh, we had a report uh, from an ag extension agent in, in Missouri uh, where uh, he saw more uh, worm castings in the fields where the material had been applied and more beneficial insects on the soybean plants than he'd ever witnessed in his entire career. Uh, so it's 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 really uh, all over the you know all over the spectrum as far as the the benefits that we see, uh, but I can say they're all good. Uh, I haven't had one complaint in the entire time that we've been in business since 2003, 
and the reports coming in just get better and better. Uh, I mean, uh, just in, in all aspects, whether it's from the standpoint of uh, offering it as a livestock mineral or as using it as a uh, pasture uh, or crop or vegetable garden uh, fertilizer. It's interesting what you bring up about beneficial insects, because certainly we know the problem of insects eating at our crops. What are beneficial insects and exactly how do they help with the growing of the crops? Well, in this case, it was uh, it was actually uh, ladybugs, and the ladybugs were on the uh, soybeans eating the aphids, uh, and and so there, I guess their populations were expanding because they were devouring, you know, all of the aphids and, and enjoying them. Uh, you know, from the standpoint of insects uh, and and and, the, and looking at uh, that, you know, the the pesticide versus healthy plant kind of technology or idea. Um, we believe that when we get the nutrient density, and a lot of people equate that to the bricks, up in the plants, uh, the uh, tissue uh, is not something that the insects can actually digest because uh, this insects like lack pancreases. And uh, they're really, they're really uh, their function, an insect's function is to take out the weak uh, so that the gene pool stays strong and the healthy plants reproduce. Uh, and by increasing the nutrient density and by uh, the BRICS levels, uh, by using the minerals and trace elements, I think that we're creating healthier plants. Uh, we don't in any way make any claims that C90 is a pesticide or a fungicide, but I've had just too many reports from customers saying that, you know, in Florida on, on citrus or in Southern California on citrus, that the uh, aphids uh, all of a sudden are just not in their citrus anymore or not affecting their plants. And uh, to not equate this to the fact that there's that, that it's the plant that's actually uh, uh, resisting or, or an environment has been created that is a uh, detriment to the insect's infestation uh, would be uh, illogical, I think. I like that you bring up the BRICS nutrient density because a good friend of mine, Jamel FDF, who I believe stopped by your booth at the Wash Traditions Conference, he has a business called High BRICS Nutrient Density. And this is certainly a growing area of agriculture. Do you see that a lot more in the future of hybrids, nutrient dense crops? Oh, definitely. I think that's, uh, you know, I mean, the high bricks is really a method of measuring sugars. And in measuring sugars, we're getting an idea of the mineral density of, uh, within the plant. But now I mean, we've gone so far as uh, doing tissue testing uh, for uh, specific elements and then, uh, you know, looking at exactly what's deficient. Uh, in, in agriculture, I think that, uh, you know, not, not necessarily in uh, sea mineral uh, or sea energy agriculture research, but in, in all other agriculture, I think a lot of uh, farmers are starting to look at actual nutrient, dense and nutrient density and different elements in the tissue and, and then judging what deficiencies might be in the plants and, and trying to boost everything up to uh, create a, uh, a high bricks, you know, high bricks vegetable, a high bricks plant, because that does equate into the nutrient value. And uh, one of the interesting uh, uh, slides that I have in my PowerPoint presentation uh, there was a study that was conducted uh, back in the 1940s on vegetables grown in supermarkets. And uh, they went in and they tested for sodium, uh, calcium, magnesium, zinc, uh, mag manganese, you know, different elements that uh, just, just by, you know, just looking at what the different ones were. And then it, it was set aside. And sometime in the 1990s, a researcher at the... Uh, USDA found that research and he thought, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to go to a grocery store and get the fresh fruits and vegetables and run the same study. 
And the levels of those elements had dropped, in some cases, over 50% in that time period. And that is totally equated to the uh, lack of minerals and trace elements in the soils and how they basically washed off the land or been carried away and, uh, and gone back to the ocean and, and rivers and streams. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Murray said to me early on was uh, if you stood at, on the banks of the Mississippi River for a 24-hour period, you would watch the equivalent topsoil of a 120-acre farm go by every day. And how long has that been going on? How much topsoil have, do we have to lose before we start to really start thinking about replenishing not only topsoil organic matter, but also nutrients and the, and the entire periodic table of elements is what Sea Energy Agriculture promotes. These were vegetables that were grown actually in the supermarket physically that they were studying? Yes. Yes. They went like you go to the grocery store today, not necessarily Whole Foods because you might have you know, a better uh, quality uh, crop there than you would at, uh, at one of your, your local uh, just chain grocery stores where vegetables are coming from different parts of the world. But uh, yes, it was actually just off, just off the shelf with no attention paid to uh, how they look necessarily or, or you know, just, just to give a really good up, uh, uh, overall general appearance of what the minerals and trace elements were that were in those crops. And just hearing that idea of vegetables grown in the grocery store, just that doesn't sound right when I hear that. Well, not grown in the grocery store. I'm saying the grown for the grocery store. Oh, grown for the grocery yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, not, not actually grown in a grocery store. No, these, oh, okay. these were crops that were on the shelf, fruits and vegetables on the shelf. I, I apologize if I misunderstood. Oh, that. no problem. But it's kind of with, uh, with the stuff at supermarkets today, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. I mean, I don't we completely actually, avoid supermarkets, but it's often the last resort, like if I forgot to pick something up at the farmer's market. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Same the way. My, I try to eat as much as I can out of the garden here at the house. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way of all is to grow the crops yourself, not even go to the farmer's market because travel's the safest distance and you know that it's organic because you've grown it yourself. Oh, absolutely. And when, and when you put the uh, incorporate the C90 or C energy agriculture into what you're doing, then you know you've got every mineral known to science, you know, in in your in your uh, in the food that you're eating, fully nutrient dense. Right, and with the C90 that you use, do you use an other type of fertilizer as well, as like a mix of C90 and fertilizer? Well, it depends on the crop. I mean, a, a lot of high uh, uh, hybrid uh, type vegetables that have been uh, uh, created over the past uh, maybe 15, 20 years are very dependent upon NPK. Uh, and in those types of crops, I think it's very necessary. But in a organic, say, home garden or even in a in a organic farm where they've got adequate sources of nitrogen and phosphorus, uh, the seam minerals can be used uh, directly in that situation with no additional uh, fertilizer at all. Uh, in a backyard garden where you've uh, you know you've incorporated nitrogen and phosphorus and you know some natural sources of these things. Uh, it, just putting the C90 in there and uh, at the recommended rates and tilling it in, you've got a complete, uh, a complete, fer a complete fertility. In the current agriculture system, how common are C mineral solids used? Oh, it, it, it'd be very, very small. I mean, we we basically uh, brought probably uh, two and a half million pounds into the marketplace last year, uh, but uh, we're probably not even touching. I would think one percent of all agriculture and food that's grown. Uh, the goal of Sea uh, Agri and uh, our, you know, our 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 uh, main reason for being in existence is to uh, try to get these uh, nutrients back into the food source uh, as quickly as possible. And we're 
we're making a great uh, movement in that case, uh, but I, I think we have still have a lot of work to do. Right, so it's kind of a slow movement. Is it something though that you see currently growing like each year? Oh yeah, our business has doubled every year since we started. Uh, you know, the year before last, we did just over a million pounds. Last year we did two and a half. This year I expect to do five million, and it's growing and and you know exponentially in that way. It's just a matter of uh, you know the acceptance. I mean, the, the major uh, question that uh, I'm always asked, regardless of where I am, is oh you know I thought salt would kill everything. Uh, why would you ask me to put salt on my garden? Well, you know, the bottom line is, is that we're just spoon feeding it. I mean, all, you know, at one time, all of the land that we farm today was once under the sea and it rose out of the sea and was at its peak fertility. And then over the eons of time, the fertility has decreased and we're just trying to bring it back in, in small amounts. One of the interesting things that happened when we uh, started the company back in the in early uh, 2003 or four when they had the tsunami in Indonesia, which was a terrible event, uh, right afterwards, I heard the uh, ag experts all predicting that the uh, land there, the agricultural land, which it was quite a bit, was going to be fallow for 10 years. Then lo and behold, the very next year, there's an article published uh, internationally, basically in the AP press, stating that they had bumper crops like they had never seen before. Uh, even you know in the lifetime of the farmers that were uh, out, you know they're growing the crops, and the only explanation was that it was uh, the sea minerals that had been deposited back, you know, left behind when the sea receded uh, from the agricultural land. Uh, so that was a perfect example of uh, sea energy agriculture. But heaven forbid uh, we should have to experience a tsunami to uh, you know to replenish uh, these minerals and trace elements back into our agricultural soils. So we're just we're just you know really advocating putting out very small amounts, and when you're talking about trace minerals, uh, mineral a lot of minerals and, and, and trace elements, we're really talking about elements that are present in parts per billion, uh, parts per trillion, uh, parts per million, and uh, not very much of these elements are important. Uh, not important. They're all probably important, but not many. They're not need don't need to be present in in, in any great substantial amounts. So. I like to just think of it like uh, we're spoon feeding a baby. We're just putting back, you know, when, you, when you're talking about spraying five pounds of uh, our mineral dissolved in 20 gallons of water over a one acre field, it's inconceivable that it would have any effect at all. And, uh, and that is actually the equivalent of spraying seawater and nothing burns and everything flourishes. Uh, and on vegetable crops, so we're putting on two and a half pounds per uh, uh, an acre in 10 to 20 gallons of water uh, with basically uh, uh, just phenomenal results and, and doing that maybe every seven to 10 days. And in the backyard garden, I mean, try to get your head around this. We're putting one teaspoon in a gallon of water and spraying that on our crops every seven to 10 days. It's just, it doesn't seem like it could even be possible, but it's, it's, it's really just uh, the minerals and trace elements uh, in very small quantities have, tremendous uh, synergistic value. Right. Well, we will be back in a second to talk more about sea mineral solids with Robert Kane. But first, we have to take a message from our sponsors. Tier Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, hundreds of recipes, and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, 
or pancakes, lettuce be your sprouted grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 gluten-free sprouted products. Visit our website at organicsproutedflour.net or call toll-free 877-401-6837. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. Perry Pure Eco Rag Industry is an eco-conscious clothing line. Designed and manufactured in Los Angeles, Perry is dedicated to sustainability by using certified organic, eco-friendly, and reclaimed fabrics and using low-impact dyes in its solar-powered facility. The Perry collections are inspired by the changing colors and moods of nature. A portion of all sales go to organizations that support the health of our oceans and seas. Shop today at perrythelabel.com, and for listeners of The Appropriate Omnivore, you'll receive 45% off all items when you use the code OMNI45. We're back. I'm talking with Robert Kane from Sea Agri, and we're talking about the benefit of using sea mineral solids in agriculture and in livestock. You were talking a little earlier about ruminants that have been given the C90. Can you explain a little more about what helps to make better livestock with use of your product? Well, again, I think it's the, uh, the, 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 the total package of minerals and trace elements that we're providing. But the interesting uh, thing about that, Aaron, is the uh, basically in the Midwest, at least, I'm not sure about in other parts of the country, but in the Midwest and the East Coast, all of the land that we're, that we're raising cattle on uh, today on the pasture are, are maybe 99% of it, uh, not, I can't say all on anything anymore, but uh, it, it's basically used up cropland. I think that uh, they raised crops on this land until it would not produce uh, raising crop vegetables anymore, and then they turned it, they put it in grass, and they put cows out on it, or sheep, or goats, and consequently, the uh, the livestock are basically ingesting completely mineral deficient grass, and so we have to give them mineral in order to uh, keep them alive. Uh, one of the things that we've seen with the with the C90 is that when we provide the uh, mineral to the uh, livestock within a shorter period of six weeks. We see an immediate improvement in their, uh, they call it slicking up in their hair coats. And uh, basically that's representative of minerals and trace elements. When you see, that's the first place it shows up. And uh, then we're seeing, uh, say, the uh, uh, increase in, uh, in, in the uh, uh, productivity, uh, uh, the uh, conception. Uh, we have, we have uh, farmers that have been with us that are now seeing 100% conception rates. I've had uh, dairymen call me uh, this, in this past year that uh, one of them had uh, cows that uh, about 11 cows that he was ready to sell because they hadn't accepted and gotten pregnant in almost eight months. And he had them on the sea mineral for a month and they were already pregnant. Uh, and then another fellow said that uh, his uh, son was a uh, uh, dairy breeding expert. And he'd come into his barn and he had never in his career witnessed the cows in, in as strong of a heat cycle as they were in. Uh, and this fellow had been, uh, I think he had just ordered his second pallet. So he'd had his cows on it for about uh, maybe a month and a half. 
So uh, it, it, it works into uh, just, a, again, a, a number of different, uh, different things. They've been reported back, uh, you know, reduction or elimination of pink eye, uh, a reduction in fly pressure, uh, reduction in hoof problems. Uh, and these are all, these are all problems that uh, can be equated to specific elements that, you know, farmers have been, uh, you know, trying to get into their livestock uh, to combat uh, these types of issues. The interesting thing about the C90 is not that it not that it necessarily provides zinc, which I think is one of the elements that has been equated with hoof problems, but it provides all of the elements in nature's perfect balance. And in doing so, it maybe isn't just the zinc that's the problem. It may be some other imbalance that's blocking the uptake of zinc. And by having all of the elements present, it creates uh, an environment where uh, uh, the animals just start to experience uh, health better than they've ever seen, you know, before. Uh, and, and then when we get it on the pasture, that's the interesting thing because the, you know, what's been really difficult for us is to is to talk to a a, 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 a raiser of a cattleman and say, here's a here's a product that you can give to your livestock, and oh yeah, you can actually dissolve it the same product and spray it on your pasture, or you can actually put it in your broadcaster and put it on the earth out in your pasture, and it'll remineralize the plants, and in doing so, they'll require less mineral. Uh, that's been a really uh, hard dynamic to uh, present. So actually, we've actually, you know, we've taken the same product and we've put it in two different bags now. We have C90 essential mineral as a livestock mineral salt, and then we have C90 fertilizer, which uh, they can use as a foiler or a broadcast fertilizer on their fields. Uh, and uh, it's been, you know, it's really been unique, I think, what's happened. I, I mean, I have fellows with me now that are the cattlemen that have been with us three, four years that have done nothing except give it to their cows as a mineral. Uh, and they're telling me that they're seeing improvements in their pasture just from the cows, you know, carrying it out there in their urine and their, uh, and their, and their feces uh, and, and it being worked back into the earth. And... Um, and then in, in dairy situations, I think with, with raw milk, they've seen significant decreases in uh, somatic cell counts, increases in protein, increases in butter fat, you know, things that they just have never seen uh, in, 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 in you know, some farmers in their lifetime with the addition of one single product. I know the element of livestock, that's certainly something that will appeal a lot to the listeners of this program. And a great thing about this pastured livestock is that it replenishes the grass. So by the cattle being fed it, does it then give a richer grass that they produce? Yeah, well, the the the, the ground. I mean, it, like in a in a dairy in a, in a dairy situation, it's it's really the the closed system where they actually only minerals that leave the farm are through the milk. They basically are taking the manure and spreading it back on the field. So these minerals and trace elements are really going to stay in the system. And you know, within three and four years, they start to see really pretty phenomenal improvement in. In their in their whole farm uh, operation, uh, but uh, the, the the cows, you know, they they can't, you know, the grass will improve. However, you know, the easiest way to get that going is actually to use the C90 as a fertilizer out on the pasture, in addition to giving it to to the cows as a mineral. And one of the interesting things we've seen is when I get, when I have a, a cattleman or a dairyman that's actually doing both. Uh, they see a significantly lower need for mineral uh, that, the, that the cows ingest. I've got, uh, you know, and, and also the mineral that we provide is so nutrient dense that the, uh, the cows actually need less of it. So what the, what the ranchers are seeing is a, is a, is a lower in, a level of ingestion of the minerals that they put out. 
and a uh, higher quality animal, and uh, they're getting to market faster because they're actually getting a more nutrient dense grass, nor uh, you know more nutrient dense grass and mineral, and they're actually maturing as the tomatoes did. If you can equate that to a, 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 a cow, it's actually going to market eight weeks earlier. So we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing the same thing in, in livestock. And also one of the things that we've seen is the improved quality of taste, both in the meat and in the milk that's produced. I mean, they say that it's the sweetest milk that they've ever had or tasted. And uh, I've got some uh, uh, a sheep uh, fellow down in uh, south uh, uh, Alabama that is raising organic uh, lamb. And uh, he's basically... Uh, uh, now that he's organic and he's been selling all of his lamb and everybody's reporting back that it's the sweetest tasting lamb that they've ever had. So I think this taste it, it equates in minerals and trace elements. Uh, you know, it's, it's all, all a package. That was actually going to be my next question. I was going to ask you about if the sea mineral salts could be used to help grow grass, because I think that's kind of a part that's often left out about the grass-fed beef. I mean, you have to look at what word comes first, which is grass and it is important to have the right grass when you do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's uh, that's one of the main uh, – actually, you know, it's interesting. Probably 50% of my business now is to uh, uh, dairy and grass-fed beef primarily because uh, there's, there's, there, there's been a terrible disconnect. And I think there's a, it's, it's being reconnected now that it's actually the grass that has to be improved. And when any, any, uh, any man calls me or rancher that calls me that's either dairy or grass-fed beef – I'm like, you know, yes, it's a great mineral, but what we need to work on is getting your grass better, getting the grass more nutrient dense so that the cows don't need the mineral because they weren't, they, they didn't, they were here, they were put here and their, their whole system is set up to utilize grass. And if you get 92 elements back into that grass, which like wheatgrass, I mean, a lot of folks grow wheatgrass. If you, if you take the wheatgrass and you treat it with the C90, you get the richest, most nutrient-dense, sweetest wheatgrass that you've ever had in your life. It's the same out in the field for a, for a, for a cow or a ruminant that they're ingesting this totally nutrient-dense grass. One uh, uh, interesting uh, conversation I had was with a uh, fellow from uh, Missouri that was uh, raising cattle. And uh, I asked him what, you know, why, you know, why he was, was calling me to rebuy. And he goes, well, you know, my cows aren't starving anymore. I said, what, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, he goes, you know, it was middle of winter at that time. And he goes, I went out to the barnyard today and I threw out a, a bale of the hay that I, you know, I treated with the C90 for the cows to ingest. And he said, they just laid there and chewed their cud and looked at me. And about five minutes later, they got up and they kind of moseyed over there and they nuzzled through it and ate a little bit. And then they went back over and laid down and chewed their cud. And I said, well, what happened in the past? He goes, they would get up, run over, tear the pile apart, eat every bit of it, and cry for more. So I think what they're seeing is the, uh, you know, the nutrient density. Another funny story that uh, came from a, 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 a fellow that raises horses uh, was that uh, he had gone and bought uh, some of his hay from one of my uh, producers, and uh, he fed it to his horses. And uh, he basically ran out and went into the barn and got a bale of uh, the hay that he had had previously that was in storage and threw it out in the barnyard. And the uh, horses walked over to it and uh, nuzzled through it and then stood on it and peed on it and basically represented to him that they were saying, this is bedding, go get me some hay. And he drove back to the producer and bought another truckload of the C90 enriched hay. 
which uh, is, I think, uh, once the animals get a taste of this, they just don't want to eat anything else. <laughs> oh, I bet. And so in addition to animals for livestock and for farming, can this also be fed to pets? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I think it's, it, it's an, I put a pinch in my dog's water every morning. Uh, I, I think there's plenty of salt probably in the food that they eat. But, you know, when you put a pinch in their water that they drink, it's like them drinking from a glacial stream. So, you know, they're going to get all of the minerals and trace elements. And it's also, you know, in poultry, if anybody's raising a uh, backyard or, you know, chickens, uh, this can be put out on the ground for them to peck at. What they don't eat will dissolve and go into the earth. And then also, uh, uh, you know, they, uh, they can put it in the water that they drink and just, uh, again, create a, a, a nutrient-dense water. And by giving it back to your chickens, do you find this makes for a richer yolk in the eggs? It makes the yolks darker. It makes the shells harder. And, one of the, uh, and another interesting, like I was explaining with the cattle, the feathers on the, uh, on the chickens just get this vibrant colors to them that you just haven't seen before just just like you want to you want to paint a picture i mean it's like what you'd see in a picture or you know an enhanced photograph it's just it's uh, it's mind-boggling the, the the colors that the the feathers take on once they get these minerals and trace elements and in addition to having see uh, mineral solids that are used for agriculture and for livestock i know that also you've started selling sea um a sea salt that can be used for cooking yeah, we, we call it Seasons 90, and it's a, it's a gourmet salt, uh, and it's available on our website at seaagri.com. Of course, all of our products are available there. Uh, and it's uh, we believe it's the finest uh, sea salt on earth. Uh, the comparison really between it and the other sea salts that are on the market today, uh, the first distinction is whether uh, it's an earth salt or whether it's a fresh sea salt. And... Uh, we are the only salt company on earth that actually has a uh, uh, study, a research study uh, th th on their website that shows that we are pollution free from all pesticides and fungicides. Uh, we've, of course, done all the testing for heavy metals. Uh, now, we do we do say that uh, these these uh, metals may be present. Uh, however, in parts per billion or parts per trillion, uh, they're not uh, anything that's going to affect anyone uh, on a health level. And we are significantly below uh, all of the heavy metals. Uh, actually, we're non-detectable in that sense, but we're, heavy, we're significantly below what the Salt Institute accepts for food-grade salt. So uh, the, the salt is, is uh, pure, uh, pollution-free, uh, and it's, uh, it's mineral-rich. Uh, the only salt that would uh, basically come close to providing what we uh, what we have is uh, him, is the uh, uh, Celtic salt uh, from France, and uh, the only difference between what they do and what we do is that we allow a complete dehydration in the bed before we harvest it, and in doing so, we collect all of the heaviest of the uh, minerals and trace elements uh, referred to as bitterns or the mother elixir. Uh, that is uh, present in the bottom of the uh, of the retention pond as the material as the sea salts form. Uh, they don't rise up with the other elements and the and the and the sodium chloride, magnesium, calcium, and potassium chloride because of their weight. Uh, so by getting that uh, dark uh, uh, the dark bitterns into the mix, uh, we know that we're providing the uh, complete array of minerals and trace elements. Uh, and we feel the the highest quality sea salt. And uh, tasting is believing. Uh, when you and when you taste the C90, you will uh, taste a difference. Uh, some people say it's sweet. 
some people say it tastes they taste minerals you know all different kinds of comments but it's so it's a wonderful salt that's an important thing you bring up about the difference between a sea salt and an earth salt what types of salts would be considered earth salts well, basically, they're 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 mined from under the earth. Uh, they're uh, you know Redmond salt that's created up in Utah. Uh, they go down under the earth into what they uh, they that they found is a uh, ancient sea that was trapped in uh, geologic time. Himalayan salt. I'm not really sure. It comes from Pakistan. Uh, usually, the earth salts uh, have a have a color to them. In case of those two, it's pink. That's indicative of usually some some metal that's present. Uh, iron may be in a, in a higher concentration, you know, not being naturally balanced. Uh, you know, basically, it, and it's and it's ancient. It's uh, the the minerals are present, but they're in uh, in, in not uh, the seas balanced proportions. This is what we're we're really all about: is trying to bring the 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 goodness of the sea back to uh, back to the land. You know, one thing I didn't talk about earlier, and one of the things that uh, really uh, inspired me about Dr. Murray and about his research was uh, I was uh, confronted with, uh, with cancer, uh, not personally, but uh, it, it, I lost two of my closest friends, my mother, uh, my father and my, gran and my grandmother, uh, both all by the age of 26. And I, and I really saw the hopelessness uh, at that time. I know now there is more hope in, in treating cancer, but at that time there was very little hope. And Dr. Murray and his research uh, in traveling and, and dissecting uh, sea life all over the planet basically never found cancer. And, uh, you know, the premise that he had was that if we get all these minerals and trace elements back into the food that we eat, our immune systems uh, can work at peak efficiency. And in doing so, uh, hopefully, possibly, we can have some uh, resistance uh, and, and uh, turn back the, uh, the uh, incidence of this uh, terrible disease on our population. And, you know, that was really the you know, one of the driving forces that got me involved in this. And, you know, I, I equate that to uh, really improving human health. And, uh, and that's the, really the premise of Sea Energy Agriculture and the premise of uh, all that we do in getting these minerals and trace elements out and into the, uh, the, the meat that we eat, the eggs that we eat, the uh, milk that we drink, and the, uh, and the, you know, the vegetables and, and crops that we ingest on our table. Uh, and I really encourage all of your listeners to get these minerals and get them into their gardens if they're home gardeners. And if they're, if they're farmers and they're buying hay, that they talk to whoever they're buying their hay from and say, hey, you need to look at this and, and think about using this so that I can buy this from you, this higher quality hay for my animals and you know, just so on and so forth all the way down the line and try to get these minerals and trace elements back into the food that we're eating. So the next time somebody does one of those tests at the grocery store and, and looks at fruits and vegetables, by God, we might be higher than they were in 1940. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be very wonderful. I like that you bring up about Dr. Maynard Murray and uh, discovering cultures that are free of cancer. I mean, it reminds me in a similar way to Dr. Weston Price of his studying different cultures and learning, learning about these ones that were free of diseases and of tooth decay. And certainly in the book, Nourishing Traditions of Sally Fallon, who founded the Weston A. Price Foundation, she talks about the importance of minerals and salt in our diet. Has that been something that's also influenced your business and what oh, you yeah. do? Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely, yes. I mean, uh, you know, they, the, uh, I, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that uh, Winston Price and Dr. Murray uh, uh, didn't know each other. Uh, I never remember Dr. Murray mentioning his name, but their research was so similar. And actually, when Dr. Murray started his initial research, he looked at the uh, at the centurions, uh, and he traveled all over the planet, and uh, you know, was with the Hunzas in, in India or or, uh, or the Himalayas. And, uh, and, and what he found was that they were basically agrarian communities and they practiced uh, a sustainable agriculture. And in many cases, their water sources were from glaciers. And, uh, and, and, and being from glaciers, they had a, a, a tremendous array of minerals and trace elements that there was in their, in their food and, uh, you know, in, the, uh, in their, uh, their environment, you know, that they were, that they were producing their food in. Uh, and that that in turn uh, led him to look at soil and the deficiencies uh, both in mineral trace element and microbial populations in the agricultural soils in the 1950s. And think about how bad they are today in, in, in commercial agriculture. And then to the ocean where, you know, a cubic foot of seawater has a, a thousand times more microbial life than a cubic foot of soil. Uh, so uh, that was kind of the step-by-step the -step process that led him to the ocean and to these minerals and trace elements. And then, you know, the, the idea that they were all in the soil at one time. I mean, they say that in the beginning of time that the soil was actually saltier than the ocean. And now the oceans have become saltier than the land, primarily from the sodium leaching from the land and going back into the ocean. So it's, it's, all, it's all kind of tied together. And uh, in the cycle of life, I, I feel that in bringing the, these minerals and trace elements from the ocean back into the land and back into the food that we eat, it's, it's, it's so important for the survival of the human race, really. Remineralization is key to our survival. And how we do that you know, with rock powders, sea minerals, it's, it's just essential that we do it uh, you know, to survive. I agree. And I think certainly what's important in this is about how Dr. Maynard Murray studied the history of, of our Earth and how the salts were beneficial. And I think that's really the only way to study how to be healthy is not just to do some study that takes place over a couple months to even like 10 years, but you really have to look back at the history of the Earth and how have we survived for this long? Yeah, absolutely. And and if you're if you're a, a, if you're a Bible uh, studier, I mean, they talk about uh, before the great flood that uh, uh, folks were living to be 800 years old. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to say. I mean, it's it's so interesting with like when we get the sea minerals into the equation in in uh, in a farm or you know in, in a garden or whatever, and the and the and the things that people come back to us and and relay back to us. Uh, it, it never, it's, it's always growing. It's, it's, there's always some new improvement that, that folks are seeing. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's, you know, it, it's all related to these minerals and trace elements. And, uh, you know, who knows if, if you, if you, if you lived in an environment in, like in the ocean and you had all the minerals and trace elements available to you on a daily basis, uh, you know, who knows how, if you, and if we didn't, if we weren't dying of cancer or dying of diabetes or dying of some of these other degenerative diseases, how long we might live. I mean, there, there are still centurions, uh, you know, and, and we, and really it wouldn't be a bad idea to study their diets and their eating habits. And, uh, the, the older people that I've met that, you know, have survived into their eighties and nineties, uh, and, and close to a hundred, it's almost a, all of them grew up on farms and all of them uh, were, were in their in their early years 
uh, at least were, were eating uh, very uh, mineral and nutrient-dense foods that were growing in organic situations, you know, on farms back in the 1920s or 30s. Uh, you know, before conventional agriculture really started to uh, change the way that everything is done today in food growing. Oh, I think it's certainly important to say those cultures. And I think there's also very much a big misunderstanding about salt because everyone associates salt with the whole iodized salt, which is terrible. And I mean, iodized salt has been completely robbed of its nutrients. Yeah, white salt is, is uh, basically nutrient deficient, and then they put iodine back into it. Uh, C90 has iodine, or Seasons 90 has iodine present, uh, but it's in parts per million. But it's one of 92 elements that's present. So it, it's there, it's necessary, and uh, you get the benefits of it without overdosing on it or you know, trying to get too much of it. I think in today's, you know, in our society today, we, we have access to enough seaweed products, sea, uh, sea, uh, you know, seafood products. Uh, that you know the iodized salt has become a whole lot less important than it was back in maybe the 1940s. You know, for people in the Midwest that were getting absolutely no iodine, the soil soil iodine was completely gone at that time already, and they were getting no seafood or or uh, or uh, had of course they didn't have access to seaweed products or anything uh, that we eat today, and uh, they were having problems with goiter and things, and that's where the iodized salt came about. Uh, but uh, white salt is toxic. Uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting to me that food grade salt has to be 97 to 99 percent sodium chloride to be considered food grade. Uh, and, uh, and, and and too much of that food grade salt is actually toxic. Whereas I think with C90 or, you know, sea salt, uh, the, the, the tolerance levels because the sodium is so much lower is so much uh, greater. You know, I think you can you know, not that you'd want to ingest, ingest a tremendous amount of salt anyway, but. But I don't think it's something that raises blood pressure. I mean, I've had clients that call me that are in their 80s and are actually taking uh, half a teaspoon a day and having no increase in their blood pressure, which just amazes me. But uh, it must just be the fact that it's, uh, that it's got the, uh, the lower sodium and the uh, higher minerals and trace elements. Oh, I think it would have to be that. Do you ever get that reaction when people hear what you do, uh, that you know, people that don't understand about the difference between these natural uh, sea mineral solids and the iodized salt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody equates salt to iodized salt. And I mean, like I say, when I go to farm shows, uh, farmers come up, they're like, you must be crazy asking me to put salt on my crop. And I mean, if, 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 they, don't under, if they don't get the basic concept of all of land was covered by the sea at one time and we're trying to replenish it, uh, it's, it's like, it's, you might, I might as well be talking to a wall. I mean, just they glaze over and they don't hear anything that I say. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the Roman salted Carthage to, to make it uninhabitable. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been in, in so much of our reading and so much of our history that it's, it's really one of the major objections that I deal with. Uh, but the, the, the idea of spoon feeding it to a baby is something that I think, a, a, a farmer can get their, 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 really their head around or a gardener can get their head around. Uh, and, and again, it's not something that, you know, like in the garden or on the farm that you would necessarily, I mean, everybody does soil tests. We'll do a soil test for sodium. And uh, what you'll find is in most cases, not necessarily in Southern California where they're using aquifer water that's maybe high in sodium, but in most of the country and certainly east of the Mississippi River, we're seeing sodium levels that are less than 0.05 percent. And sodium needs to be about 3 to 3.5% in order for 
the electroconductivity in the soil to function properly. So uh, I have a lot of uh, uh, you know, farmers calling me today where their consultants are telling them, especially organic growers, where their consultants are telling them, hey, you need to get some salt out there. And if you're going to use salt, use C90 because it's got all these other elements along with it, and you're going to be getting a lot more benefit from it. But we, our soils are extremely deficient in sodium. And somebody thinks that they don't need to put sodium out there is, uh, is just on the wrong page completely. Now, if it's a commercial farmer that's been using ammonium nitrate, and potassium nitrate, and some of these salt-based fertilizers uh, that, that they don't even equate with salt, and they've got hot spots in their fields that they can't grow anything because they put so much of it out there, you know, they've got a significant problem. But for your typical grower, uh, especially, uh, you know, grass-fed beef or, or um, organic growers uh, that, uh, you know, are, are, using, are on soil or even vegetable growers that are on soil where they haven't been using those types of fertilizers, uh, this stuff can be enormously beneficial. Uh, you know, in another area that's, uh, that we've had amazing results is in tree crops and nut crops. Uh, when you think about it, uh, these crops grow in, in the same place for sometimes 20, 30, 50, you know, how long? 100 years. And uh, they, you know, other than the, the roots going down deep into the soil and bringing up uh, minerals from the bedrock, uh, they're, they're starving. And uh, when you put this uh, sea mineral around a fruit tree, an apple tree, a pear tree, a pecan tree, a walnut tree, and uh, you just see an amazing uh, change, you know, like in, in, their, in their production, in the way they look, in their health, because uh, these minerals and trace elements are just enormously important. Uh, and especially in those situations. Absolutely. Robert, it's been great to have you on the program and tell our listeners all about the benefits of farming with natural sea mineral solids, getting the sea salt in our diet. We're going to have to go to our desserts in a second. But before we go, tell the listeners once again where they can find your website to learn more about what your company, Sea Agri, does and how they can get their hands on their own sea mineral solids and sea salt. Well, if you Google Sea Agri, S-E-A-A-G-R-I, that's uh, S-E-A-A-G-R-I, two A's, dot com. Uh, you'll come to our website, and all of the information and more than I've been speaking about today is all, all there present. Uh, we try to be as transparent as possible and basically put out the message uh, and the goodness and uh, hopefully convert people to uh, uh, trying it and uh, becoming customers for life. And I want to thank you very much, Aaron, uh, and I, I really pray that this reaches uh, a great number of people and uh, en enriches their lives and the food that they're eating. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on, and they all should go on your website because it is a wealth of information on there. You cover just about everything uh, you can ask about sea agri and about sea mineral solids. I'd say it explains it all. Excellent job on the content of the site. Robert, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, Aaron. And now for our desserts, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. First, this weekend is the Health and Freedom Expo in Long Beach. It's billed as your source for total natural health, and it's going on today and tomorrow. The Weston A. Price Foundation has a booth there, and you can find me at the booth tomorrow to learn more about the organization. And until March 7th, you can purchase 53 ebooks on health and real food for a total of $39.97. The bundle includes the upcoming book, the Savvy Shopper's Guide to Sustainable Food by Rainey Saunders. You can go to our website, agriculturesociety.com, to find out more. That's all for this week of The Appropriate Omnivore. My guest next week is Jamal Avdiev of Hybrix Nutrient Dense Foods. 
more information on my guests, my news stories, and my recommendations, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.com. Oh, here you go.